You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. There was a time, and it wasn't terribly long ago, where if you were selling technology, you'd talk to the technology folks. And that's still the case, sometimes. But in many cases, it's rarely the technology people themselves making purchase decisions when it comes to software. The emergence of the business user as a buyer means a change in the way software vendors speak to their customers. Today's business users are diverse. They're often digital natives, and they like to try before they buy. In short, they approach buying software a lot like they approach buying just about anything else. I think the legacy companies have really struggled um, to learn how to market to business users and really how to uh, explain value and outcomes to different customers by industry, by size, by role, by department, even by geography. And there's really this business acumen that is required to understand why people are purchasing technology, what is the value they hope to receive, how can you help them transform the organization. And that is a very different set of marketing skills. That's John Ragsdale, Distinguished Researcher, Vice President of Technology Ecosystems at Technology Services Industry Association, or TSIA as it's known. On this episode of the B2B Nation podcast, John and I are talking about business users as buyers, how revenue organizations need to adapt to the new realities of B2B buying, and the opportunities being missed in customer success and customer experience. Welcome to B2B Nation. John Ragsdale from TSIA. Welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a couple minutes and tell us who you are and what you do? Well, thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Uh, I have an interesting role at TSIA. We're a research organization focused on B2B tech companies. And our CEO, JB Wood, brought me in from Forrester back in 2006 to start the research organization. So I was like research number one. Uh, We're up to about 50 people in the research organization now. Uh, My specialty is technology research. So most of our research team uh, is focused on uh, business challenges and operational efficiencies and revenue growth for specific departments within an enterprise. And I look at the infrastructure uh, that's underlying all of those and, you know, trying to track the hot trends in technology. What are the new capabilities? What are people doing with AI? Uh, So I spend a lot of my time now with our partner network, and these are the companies that are hoping TSI members will buy their products and helping them better articulate their messaging, uh, doing a, a lot of marketing strategy work, which is the very favorite part of, of my job as a as an old marketing person. Uh, so I, you know, I've got a, a, a lot of focuses from dealing with all of the TSI members and helping them understand uh, technology and kind of pointing them in the right direction, as well as working on the vendor side, helping them better articulate uh, their message. Uh, but I also, uh, as a original research hire, I also do a lot of mentoring work. So when we hire new researchers, I train them on effective presentations. Uh, I do the research writing workshops because writing research reports is very different than typical business writing. Uh, And I've also been able to do some mentoring with some of the, the top 
young talent at TSIA, which is always really rewarding. And I think once you pass 50, it starts becoming more, more important to find ways to give back. And that's one of, one of my favorite ways. All right. When somebody asked me why I didn't volunteer for the mentoring program here at TA, I'll tell them I still got a couple of years before. <laughs> <laughs> Not, but a couple. All right. So you had, you had mentioned that your role involves researching and recommending tools and platforms for enterprise technology firms. You also talked about your background in marketing. So are there certain attributes of the marketing or maybe of the revenue organization as a whole? that you see come up repeatedly in the firms that you're recommending? Well, there's obviously a, a huge uh, component to that. Um, you know, I, I would start by saying that TSI members are all business users. IT is not part of our member base. And uh, we have a, a partner market bridge that I've done some webinars with. They do uh, market research. And they said that 60% of B2B marketers are now focused on business users, not IT. And you know that's uh, in line with the, the big move toward freemium software. 55% of our members have some kind of uh, free to fee offer trying to you know that's how salesforce first got started is get the frontline people uh enamored with your technology and they will sell it uh, up to their executives and ultimately to it but you know we we've got a huge membership and uh, a lot of our very large members are legacy hardware software on-premise companies moving to the cloud we've also got uh, a, a huge group of born in the cloud companies but you know i think the legacy companies have really struggled um, to learn how to market to business users and really how to uh, explain value and outcomes to different customers by industry, by size, by role, by department, even by geography. And there's really this business acumen that is required to understand why people are purchasing technology, what is the value they hope to receive? How can you help them transform the organization? And that is a very different set of marketing skills. I mean, when I ran uh, marketing and product marketing, we were just hot feature functions and why we've got better feature functions than the other, other um, you know, vendors. I, I was in the room the day the term customer relationship management was invented. And I actually voted no. I thought it was a bad, bad name. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in those days, it was just RFPs, endless pages of feature function. And now we're seeing a lot more um, focus on value and outcomes. And you don't always see companies having the white papers and the collateral required to help the sales team really articulate that. Um, the other side of that is when the CIO was driving deals, there typically was a larger strategy looking at transformation, for example, and how this component they're shopping for fits into a bigger transformation picture. And not to you know hate on the business users, but business users don't always have that strategic view. And as a result, you're seeing more vendors, uh, at least a lot of the ones I work with, are creating these 
market strategy or business strategy role or a corporate evangelist role. And they're kind of helping companies understand how that technology is fitting in to an overall transformation strategy. And I think that's really helpful if a business user is really the one driving the deal, ultimately they've got to sell it to their executives. And forward-looking executives want more than an ROI story. They want to understand how this fits in long-term long-term corporate strategy. Uh, so, you know, I think it's becoming more critical than ever that someone, hopefully part of marketing, reporting to the CMO, maybe to the CIO, uh, has that strategist uh, visionary role and can really help companies understand that. Because again, if all you're selling are tools or you're looking at basic ROI, um, I think I think it's it's really challenging in a subscription world. Um, and the final thing I'll mention, um, I'm doing a, a keynote later this week at a conference and I'm talking about how services marketing is usually an oxymoron for most companies. And I think that tech companies are great at product marketing, but you know, there's a significant amount of revenue coming from services. And we see salespeople aren't incented as well on services. So they sell, you know, whatever's easy. They're not selling the strategic services packages. There's much more focus now on services for how do you get adoption and value uh, faster and at a, at a greater rate. And there's just not a lot of services marketing out there. You don't see the collateral around why a premier support agreement makes sense. Uh, you don't see the, the case studies and the customer testimonials about why going for the premium implementation package ultimately was made me successful. So, you know, I, that that's another thing that I would really ask the audience to, to look at is uh, if you're leaving the services organizations on their own to create their own marketing, uh, they're probably not being really successful. And I would take some of the, the, the great branding and the great strategy work that you're doing for products and see if you can extend that into services because everybody's looking for new revenue streams and there's a lot of money to be had from selling value added services, but we've got to market them successfully. I just want to go back to something you said about some of the enterprise vendors, some of the legacy vendors who struggle with the the cloud and the SaaS world. Their buyers are now more diverse. You talked about mm -hmm. the business users, right? They used to just be able to market into the tech organization, right? Yeah, yeah. Their uh, approach because of that, of the white papers and the kind of big clunky for lack of a better word yeah uh isn't going to resonate with that audience it their world has changed dramatically it is it is i i don't think if you're not living it every day you understand how big that is and if you look at the brands and i'm not going to mention any names but the you know in the software crm erp world the brands that ruled the world a decade ago are really struggling today and they are viewed as clunky old companies. And even though they have come out with some really incredible cloud offers, they're having a difficult time competing with unicorns who have all this 
you know, glory from Wall Street analysts and they're cool and people want to invest in cool unicorn companies, not a, a, a legacy software vendor that maybe it took you three years to implement their ERP system back in 2000. And some of the IT people are still waking up screaming uh, about that. And so when they decide they need a new ERP system that better handles subscription, they're not even looking at the, the technology from those vendors because whether it's true or not, they view them as hopelessly uh, out of date. So, you know, I'm seeing a lot of rebranding going on, uh, but I also see within some of these legacy companies that the, the cloud business is kind of operating as a startup within that company. So they've got a completely separate team, completely separate infrastructure, completely separate marketing organization. So they're acting like a startup. And so they've got a little more of that, that look and feel when they're talking to prospects, they feel that urgency that you get from a startup that you don't always feel when you're talking to someone that used to be dominating the world. You focus on customer experience in your work as well. And, you know, I think the recurring revenue models that we see in the software industry are in part responsible for this increased focus on customer experience and customer mm -hmm. success within the revenue organizations. And sometimes it lives under marketing and sometimes it's on its own. What are the biggest barriers to providing top-notch customer experience today? Well, that's a, a huge topic. I mean, we could do an hour on, on that alone. Uh, you know, definitely customer experience is, is critical. Uh, I think when Wall Street stopped focusing as much on revenue and more on ARR, that really explains, uh, you know, why customer success is huge. We launched our customer success research practice a decade ago, and now it's our largest research practice. So what can we do to encourage adoption, retention, expansion? Um, but customer experience is a really big component of that. And we have a lot of data correlations showing specific things in the customer journey that has really big impacts on revenue and expand selling. And a couple of quick examples, uh, we've got a incredibly high correlation between a positive support experience, high satisfaction with the technical support engagement and renewals. If you have high CSAT, you have high renewals. If you have low CSAT, you have low renewals. So if you still think your support organization is some cost center and they're doing the dirty work, uh, that could be a reason that you're having renewal issues. Uh, another interesting example, uh, customer success is now in charge of onboarding, you know, training, getting people to use uh, the technology. And we found a, a very high correlation between customer success, partnering with your customer learning team to create personalized learning paths which means in the old days, there was one size fits all training. And today training is very tailored to who you are, what features you're gonna use, what your personal outcomes are for the product, which are gonna be very different than the reason they bought the technology. Uh, and really prescribing this personalized learning path of what 
uh, learning content should they consume and monitoring how they consume it. And we're seeing that companies that take that very personalized approach uh, are really seeing much faster adoption, time to value, and ultimately uh, much higher renewal rates and uh, higher expand selling rates. So, you know, the, the challenge there is uh, we don't have a cross-enterprise operations team responsible for really gathering consistent and accurate data at every step of the customer journey. So I think like the success and support organizations are hugely metric. You know, there's a million metrics for them. But uh, according to our benchmark, only 25% of uh, professional services implementation projects even get a project satisfaction rating, only 25%. So if you're trying to really understand what each step of the customer journey is impacting long-term account success, you've got to have consistent data for every step. And so I think you need some kind of cross-enterprise ops team uh, to make sure that they're gathering the right data, consistent data, valid data. There's a lot of satisfaction data that's being gathered solely to get bonuses for executives, and it's not really actionable. Um, you know, don't get me started on, on customer health scores and success, because so many of those are designed to look good, uh, not to really predict the likelihood of renewal. So if you don't have uh, the ability to break down that siloed information from group to group and really start doing correlations, uh, I, I think that you will never understand what in the customer experience is impacting revenue and be able to prioritize those. So I will say the good news is there are some new specialists uh, creating technology for this. One of those is the Loops uh, a start startup here in Silicon Valley, and they are able to correlate any data to any data with a, a kind of a, a virtual uh, cloud approach to, uh, a, to a data warehouse. Um, but for example, they're able to take data from Pindo and tell you which application flows or which features that customers consume or adopt are leading to higher renewal rates. And once you get that, then you can start understanding what should we be coaching people on and onboarding people on because certain features or process flows seem to be delivering value faster. So, you know, the answer is going to be different for every company and you've got to do the work. Uh, and I'm just not seeing many companies. I mean, I've got one example of a, a company that has completely mastered this, and that's Informatica. Um, they, they, when you go to their website, they know why you're there, what you're gonna ask before you ask, ask it uh, with like 90% accuracy, because they have been mining this customer experience data for so long, and very, very few companies are even close to having something like that. Uh, no one shows up with more charts and data in our revenue organization meetings than customer success. Just to <laughs> anecdotally back up what you said there. I think we can ask a similar question about growth. What are the growth opportunities a lot of organizations are missing today? And you know, maybe customer experience is part of that. But you also, you, like you mentioned, services before. If they're not talking about or effectively marketing services, what other examples might you have there? Well, there's a, a couple of things come to mind. Um, you know, the first, from a pure revenue standpoint, 
Um, we've surveyed our members who are all technology buyers as well as technology providers, and they overwhelmingly want to purchase technology, even complex technology, through self-service and e-commerce and never talk to a sales rep. And that is almost impossible to do. Very, very few companies have enabled that. There is pretty high adoption of uh, you know, e-commerce, CPQ, that sort of technology, but it's only available to the very smallest customers. And unfortunately, especially in legacy companies, those uh, sales executives who used to kind of drive everything, they were so strategic and so important, they got way too much clout. And, you know, it, it's time to, uh, you know, start relieving uh, some of that ownership and control because that's not the way customers want to buy, especially as we are moving to business users making decisions. They are not going to talk to a sales rep. And if you are going to force them through an RFP process and a long sales engagement, they're just going to go to your competitor. So, you know, just from a pure revenue standpoint, I think that, 2023 is really the year to embrace self-service purchasing, and that's going to mean a whole new stream of content, a whole new stream of analytics, probably some additional capabilities and CPQ and catalogs and service catalogs, but automating not only the long tail of sales, but ultimately even, even some of the bigger deals. So that's one area. Um, Another thing that I think is uh, really preventing growth, everybody's trying to monetize customer success. And there's a, I've got a lot of data on the offers that they're selling. Uh, there's also a big move in professional services to uh, selling subscription renewable services, such as selling uh, points or credits that they consume. Uh, and th this is a, a significant change in culture for the services organization, but also for the marketing organization. And one of the things that I see missing is benchmarking. And that means that your customer success organization is capturing enough data when you start implementing a customer so you've got a complete picture of the before, before you implement anything. And it's not just tracking adoption. It's not just tracking core ROI. It's looking at larger uh, numbers and how is implementing your technology impacting corporate success. And, uh, you know, a quick example, I work with a, a large group of professional services automation or PSA vendors, and I keep challenging them, show me that purchasing your PSA technology is enabling uh, renewal rates because the customers are getting value so much faster because the way you implemented the software that they're getting value faster and they're renewing and they're buying more from you. And they're like, well, we can't prove that they're renewing because the implementation was good. And I said, no, you can't prove positively, but if you've got the renewal rate before they implemented your tool and after it goes up, you can take some credit for that. Maybe not all the credit, uh, but you can take some credit for that. So I think that we've got to get better at really benchmarking. Again, only 19% of tech companies have a benchmarking program today. And if you really want to understand what the average adoption and value trend line is, 
and understand which customers are above that line and below the line and create a get well plan to move those customers up, which by the way is usually selling additional services. Um, it's gonna be really hard to maximize retention and expand selling if you don't really understand what's causing that and what are the ingredients uh, to that. So, you know, I would say marketing needs to get involved in customer success benchmarking because ultimately that's gonna deliver a lot of incredible case studies and value studies uh, that you can use to attract you know, new prospects into your brand, but without that data, it, it's, it's gonna be difficult. And I would recommend that you look beyond the traditional metrics you impact and look at corporate revenue. You know, look at, at some bigger corporate numbers and, and try to show that implementing your software or your hardware is ultimately having a bigger impact than the original department that, that purchased it. So, uh, you know, that, that's where I, I think uh, we need to really dig in to what customer success means, uh, the impact of the technology, and leveraging that in the marketing cycle, but uh, a, a lot of work there to be done. Is there a piece of advice or guidance that you find yourself giving TSIA members on a regular basis that you think our audience would benefit from here? So you're asking me to give away my secrets here, <laughs> and it is true. Um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and even back to the days when I was selling uh, software, there's some advice that I give multiple times a week, and I I'm, I'm surprised that it's not you know what everybody knows and understands. But I would say the best practical advice I can offer, and I even have a chapter in my book about this, is technology will not create process where none exists. And so many people, and customer success is a great example, they're starting up a customer success organization, they don't know what it means, they don't know what the process is, they don't know how to onboard a customer, they don't know what a renewal process looks like, but they go by a customer success platform thinking that that's gonna give them the keys to the kingdom. Well, guess what? Software doesn't give you process. It can help model your process, it can help enforce your process, but it does not create process where none exists. And I talked to so many people who spent a huge amount of money on technology and then say, we're not getting any value from it. And you start digging into it and they had completely unrealistic expectations and they weren't starting with a core set of successful processes. And you can't blame the technology for that. And a corollary to that is the other reason that I see so many technology implementations fail is that you are retrofitting technology to fit your broken processes. And you know, I'll give you a, a great example of that. I recently had a chat, and again, I, I won't say the name, but the number two person at one of the largest uh, cloud software companies in the world, and they are on a mission to eliminate customization because they are finding that they were making money from selling these long detailed you know implementations with tons and tons of customizations but ultimately the cost of ownership for customers is really high 
and they have accounts that are completely unsupportable. They are so customized that even their level three support techs have no idea how to fix the problem. And you know, you've really got to look at if your processes, if you're buying technology and they've got some out-of-box basic flows, if your data model is so different and your approach to doing business is so different, you need to change your way of doing things. Because like at PSA again, for example, you know, they've implemented this approach to resource planning and resource forecasting and revenue forecasting and project execution. They built this software based on working with hundreds and hundreds of successful companies. And if you find that you do business completely differently, unless it is a competitive differentiator for you, which I doubt it is, uh, you need to change the way you do business to make use of the software. And that's why we see uh, back to customer success monetization, one of the most common uh, offers that customer success is selling is process modeling. That people, are, they're going in and saying, we know our processes are broken. We can't take advantage of your technology because our processes are so bad. Help us overhaul the way we do business so we can automate. Um, so, you know, I think uh, technology buyers need to look at bringing in new tools as an opportunity to audit the way you do business and change the way you do business. Because uh, especially if you've been doing business for a lot of years, there's just so much changing in the industry that the way things worked for you a decade ago are wrong today. <laughs> so, you know, really, really be open uh, to that. and. Uh, you know, that's the best advice I can give. Have good processes. Technology's not going to give them to you. And if you're trying to rewrite the data model of technology, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> it's like a it's like a car. If you swap out your tires on your car, the, the car still does what it does. It's just doing it on different tires. But if you've gone 10 years without buying a new car and you buy a new car, there's a huge difference in what that car will do compared to 10 years ago. Oh yeah. I I My last new car, it took me like three weeks before I could even drive it. It was, it was so complicated. <laughs> I, I couldn't even turn the radio on. 45 minute orientation on the features and then an additional 30 minutes on how to turn them all off. So <laughs> <laughs> If you were talking about the the vendor that wants to reduce customizations, if you can do if you could reduce customizations, you're probably better positioned for that self service buying experience too that everybody wants. Yeah, we, we are seeing a, a shift. Uh, Fifty four percent of implementation projects are now fixed priced repeatable projects, and that's exactly the point. Trying to stick to more vanilla, more out of box less customization uh, because it's going to lower ownership costs. It's going to allow you to get value and adopt faster. And that's usually where you find which of your legacy processes are probably no longer uh, best of breed. All right. The question we asked just about everybody on B2B Nation, what is your favorite tool? And this is the tool that you use your day-to-day that helps you stay organized or better serve your customers and our rule is you can't say your phone unless you cite a specific <laughs> app. So what well, is I, that tool for John Ragsdale? I don't know if it's cheating, but I've got my favorite tool and also 
it's also the the tool I don't have that I want the most. Um, I work with a lot of intelligent search vendors. You know, these are companies like Search Unify and Caveo and Yext that have an analytic-based search platform. And you know, when we implemented one of these tools on our website, it completely changed the user experience. But it also, for employees, I can find whatever I need and I can filter it. It understands what I'm asking, even if I phrase it completely differently uh, than the terminology and ultimately the document I'm looking for. But, you know, just there's a, a I, a recent survey I read said employees spend an average of 3.6 hours a day searching for information. Out of every 15-hour day, which is what my days tend to be, uh, probably half of that is, is searching. And I've got PowerPoint slides going back to 1995 that I still update and reuse. And as much as I am enamored with these analytic-based search tools on websites, I don't have that on my desktop. And they exist, I just, I, I can't convince IT to buy it for me. But, you know, if, if I could just have the same capabilities I have for web searching, for website searching on my own desktop, it would seriously save me three to four hours a day just in finding, you know you had that conversation, you know you've created that slide before, you know you've sent this answer uh, to someone else a year ago, but you will never find it with the desktop search that comes with your computer. It's completely useless. It's probably um, the best the best part of the Google Workspace apps for me is that I can find anything because it's Google. They know how to do that, <laughs> right? But there's also such great analytics, you know, content gap analysis. What are people searching for and not finding? So you know what content to create. Um, relevancy analysis. So I'm searching for one term, but it learns it's the other term. And that's really helpful with customers because, hey, if your customers all call it something different, maybe you need to change your name because <laughs> you're you're not helping. And usage analysis, which shows who's consuming what content. So you really understand which segmentation of users are looking for which kind of content. Um, so yeah, I, I, I know the tools are available for the desktop. For some reason, I can't convince IT to buy it for me, but uh, that is my favorite tool and I only wish I had it for my desktop. All right, John Ragsdale from TSIA. Thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. Great to be here. It was a lot of fun and I uh, hope we can come back again and talk more about experience. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again to John Ragsdale of TSIA for joining us on the podcast. If you found this episode insightful or interesting, share it with a friend and follow B2B Nation on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, Spotify. Stay up to date with resources for B2B marketers by B2B marketers by following B2B Nation from Technology Advice on LinkedIn. Thanks to the Technology Advice crew of Amy Dunn and Hunter Hill. Monarchs in the Guild wrote our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.